Well, great to see you guys back again. And I'm, I'm lost in what week it is. What week is this? Eight. Week eight. Congratulations on keeping count. Uh, all right, this is why I'm confused because last week I, I did the week on evil last week. Usually Frank is a specialist in evil because he's a much more evil person than I am. So he usually handles that topic. Uh, and then usually this week we are preparing for the Alpha Weekend, and Frank usually does this week, and then I'm doing the next week. So we're, we're all messed up here, but we do want to make sure you guys are knowing. Uh, coming up on May the 19th and the 20th, so that's not this weekend, but the next weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning, is what we call the Alpha Weekend, and we hold it right here. Uh, a little different, you get a breakfast venue instead of a, a dinner venue, and uh, I guess, well... I guess you get dinner the night before. Yeah, dinner and breakfast. Uh, there isn't any Alpha for Kids that weekend, so if you guys can make arrangements on your own for your child care. But you know, as I mentioned last week, you know, there's something, and you know, by the time you've gone this far in Alpha, and you guys have been through so many of the weeks so far, you know, you have done what we talked about in the first session of the Alpha course. You've taken some time to think about your life. And to ask questions about what you're living and why are you living the things that you're living? What kind of goals do you have? How satisfied are you about how things are going? What about spiritual things and why do you believe what you believe? And So you've gotten into this habit of asking good questions and, and interacting with God and, and, and giving God, you know, if, if God exists and He's a personal God, He cares about your life and He cares that you know Him. And, and, you know, what's made it a little bit challenging, I think for all of us, is a little bit of a challenge in that we come to know all kinds of things. But there's a, there's a way that we come to know God, that God has decided that it would be the best way for us to know Him. And that would be not to be able to put Him in a test tube, shake a couple of things together, and pour it out, and boom, out pops God. Now, those of you guys who are scientific, you know, I have an engineering background, I kind of like that. I like everything to fit in the formula, that you can put it into a computer program and you can feed in the same numbers, you get the same results every time, you can predict life that way. That, you know, I'd, I'd like if, if life was that way. There's a lot about our lives that aren't that way. Right? And discovering God is not that way. God has not chosen to reveal himself through math equations and chemical formulas. God has chosen for us to reach out toward him with a capacity that he's put inside of us called faith. And every one of us lives our lives with faith. And so we're reaching out for all, to believe all kinds of things about our future. To believe about our past, things that we can only arrive at by faith. And God has chosen to be discovered by faith. It's reasonable. matter of fact, I think it takes, it's, it takes more faith to be placed in an evolutionary, no God sort of a scenario than it does to believe in a God who is maybe beyond our understanding in some ways. Because, you know, I don't understand a lot of things. And so there's a lot beyond my understanding. And so I don't have a problem believing that this God could be beyond human faculties and understanding. And we come to Him by faith. But what you've done in the Alpha Course is make some room for those questions and to interact with God. And what this weekend does, it just gives you another opportunity. A little bit of a unique opportunity, I'd say. It's a little different. The feel of the meetings are a little different than what what these meetings have been like. But it gives you a chance 
to interact with God. And that's, I know, where many of you guys are. You're just wanting a deeper interaction with God and something more satisfying. So I hope you put that on your calendar and, and make plans uh, to be there on Friday night and Saturday morning for that. Um, so we're a little kind of out of order this week. Frank's next week going to pick up on the subject of the Holy Spirit is what he's going to talk about next Tuesday. And so this mysterious element of God that, that's called, some of you guys call it the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. You know, what, what's up with the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? How do we understand uh, who the Holy Spirit is? Well, this week, all right, so we're a little fast-forwarded here. I'm going to jump you all the way to chapter 15. This doesn't mean you're about to finish the book, although it feels like you are. Just an optical illusion. Session 15, it's on page 79. And it's actually entitled, What About the Church? Right, so this is where we'd be kind of in the second to last week normally. And we'd be answering a little bit of the question, you know, right, well, what do you do now? Maybe you've discovered some things and, and different people are in different places at this point in the course. Uh, some people have just kind of gotten strengthened in what they've understood about God and the Bible. and Some people have, have maybe come into a fresh sense of connection with God, the way the Bible describes it. Or maybe some people are just still weighing some things out, debating uh, what they believe. But what do, you, what do you do beyond this, right? At some point, the Alpha Course comes to an end, and, and what do you do for that spiritual dimension of your life? And, and where does it sit in your, your life? Well, let me start with this. Wait. This will be a really interesting talk if I stick with these notes. Yeah. We don't want to do that. Frank, can you help me out there, buddy? Um, you know, it's funny. that Frank was out of town, the evil thing went fine. He's back in town. The evil thing has turned on me. So, it's amazing what's happened here. Um, all right, well, let me, let me just jump into this verse. You're not going to be able to read it. So, just listen carefully with me here. This is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's writing this to a group of people that was called the, the Philippians, the people who lived in a town called Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says this. He says, more than that, he says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So here's the Apostle Paul writing, and he says some things here. I just want, to hear, want you to hear the language. So the Bible comes along and says, hey, this, but not that right there. This, believe this over here, but not that over here. And you hear that language in a couple of places we'll look at tonight. And one of the places is where Paul says this. He says, that I may be found with a relationship with Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Well, what does that big phrase mean? Well, derived from the law means the rules that the Bible puts in front of us. Things that you should keep this, and you should do that, and you should not do that. And so, you know, all of us come to God with this idea that there's got to be rules. There's always rules with God. And there are. 
But what the Bible turns around and says is you don't receive righteousness. And that's a big fancy word. But all righteousness is, is it means rightness with God. Right? And, and which also implies that there's wrongness with God. Right? So the Bible teaches both that there are people who are right with God and there are people who are wrong with God. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, look, not that I've achieved rightness with God derived from me keeping the law. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a rightness with God that comes, as he says, on the basis of faith. What is faith? Well, faith is when we believe something. Faith is when we put our belief into something. Well, what was the message here that Paul was saying to believe? Well, it was that Jesus Christ was God who came in the flesh, lived a life, died a death on a cross, and did something no one else has ever done in human history. He was buried, and three days later, he came up out of the grave with a new life, and he proclaimed that he was the Son of God, come to restore all people to God. Well, that's the message. And you don't perform to get that message. You put your faith in that message. Right? So inside of every one of us is this this quality of faith, this activity of faith, it's like it's something that we have and we can put it in things. So you pick your faith up and you say, okay, I think that being right with God, I think it's about this. I think it's, it's doing most of the rules right. That's what I think. All right, well, then you just took your faith and you put it in you keeping rules. That's what your faith is in. So if I were to ask you tonight, you know, if... If somehow you walk out of here and you're driving in, or walking in the parking lot and evil Frank runs over you and just kills you, you're dead. And you stand before God and God says, hey, why should I let you into my heaven? And you turn around and say what in that moment? Because your answer in that moment is going to tell you where you took your faith and put it. So if you answer God by saying, well... Listen, God, I, I'm not claiming that I'm great. And there's probably people who have done better than me. But, you know, I think I've led a, a pretty good life. I've tried to do right. I haven't always done, you know, what I should have done. I know that. But I, I've tried to be a pretty good person. Uh, that's what most people would give as their answer, statistically. But what that reveals is, well, where is your faith? I took my faith and I put it in what I have done so far in life. And I'm banking on a good curve that, that I've done a little better than maybe the average and everybody else has done. Not great, but decent. Well, that reveals my faith. My faith is in what I have done. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Not, oh, thank you. Uh, not a righteousness of my own that I derive by keeping rules, but a righteousness that comes by faith. I put my faith in what Jesus Christ did, that he lived a life that was completely okay with God. And he met every need that had to get met before God. And I put my faith in that. And that's what the Apostle Paul says that he had done. But you know what I love about this passage? The Apostle Paul, if you know anything about who this man is in history, the Apostle Paul wasn't always a Christian. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was, in in the New Testament writings the most prolifically known enemy of Christianity in the first century. Now, probably some terrible people out there that hated Christianity, but the Apostle Paul really, really hated Christianity. He thought it was a hoax, thought it was false. 
didn't believe that this Jesus Christ was a valid figure for people to believe in, and thought that people who had put their faith in him needed to be opposed and actually put in jail. And that's what he was doing. He was on his way to arresting people who claimed to be Christians and put them in jail when Jesus Christ appeared to him and raised the question to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And when he encountered Christ, suddenly he knew this Jesus Christ is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And he put his faith in Christ. And this Christian hater became a Christian. Now what's interesting is he writes this letter to the Philippians about 30 years after that's happened. And here he says this. This is still fresh in his heart. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He took his whole life, all that he could have achieved, all the money, all the fame he could have had, all the comforts he could have had. He took all of that and he said, you know what? Having Christ is more valuable to me than this. Still, 30 years later, that's more valuable to me than everything else that I could have. So that, that, what's this got to do with our topic for tonight? Well, somehow, when the Apostle Paul, if you will, f- discovered a relationship with Christ, 30 years later, it was still near and dear and passionate and important and compelling in his life. It wasn't some past phase he went through. It wasn't just this thing. Ah, I remember a long time ago, I used to go to church. I used to be into that kind of stuff. There was something real deep down in his heart all these years later. And what you have in this man's life is a lesson on what does God do with us after we meet him? Well, we keep going. Right? God's got more things in store for us. And so we're going to answer this question tonight. What about the church? Well, the church had quite a bit to do with why Paul was excited about his relationship with Christ some 30 years later. But look here with me real quick on page 80 there. What what is the church? Because I know I say that word church. It's, It's already got a definition for most of us. It's already got some experiences attached to it, right? So the author of our little booklet here says, Popular Misconceptions About the Church. Right, so when we hear the word church, some of us think of services, right? As in church services. You know, it's your grandmother pulling you on the side and say, hey, did you go to church today? What does she mean by that? She wanted to know, did you go to service today? There was a service and was your butt in that church at that service? Uh, or church means the clergy, right? Some official group, maybe wearing special clothing and representing some tradition or view. And then the, you know, maybe the news has got some element on where they're talking about the church today, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, you know, they mean those special clergy people in their special outfits. Or maybe the church means a particular denomination, right? If you grew up here in New Orleans and you hear church, I grew up in New Orleans and I grew up Catholic. So that's the only thing I knew of as church. So there wasn't a lot of other stuff out there that qualified in my mind for church. Or that maybe you thought the church was a building, right? You drive past a building and, hey, that's a church right there. Or somebody asks you, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to that church up on Veterans Highway. Uh, That's where I go to church. All right, so this is how we think about church. But but how does the Bible present church to us? And, And what exactly is the church? Well, there's a couple of things. We'll just run through them real quickly. You see those little red spaces there. There's one is the church is the people of God. And then there's the family of God. 
body of Christ and a holy temple. All right, so we're going to fly through those four pictures that God gives about what His church is. So the first one is the church is the people of God. Church is people. Right? It may have some involvement with all those other things, but church basically is people. Look at this interesting thought. This is the Apostle Peter writing in the first century. He says, and, and, and you've got to get who his audience is here. He's writing a letter that's going to be distributed to all kinds of folks, and it's going to be read in gatherings like this. And it's written to your garden variety average Joe Christian. Somebody in the world decided they're going to put their faith in Christ. And they're a Christian. And the Apostle Peter is writing a letter to these kinds of people. So this is not some special elite group. This is just an average person who said yes to Christ. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, well, did you notice that last part in that passage there? It's kind of like what I said before. The Bible goes out of its way often to clarify. No, no, I don't mean this. I mean this. All right, so here's two examples. And these are, these are catchy. And these are... Disturbing as well. Because right? here's the world that I grew up in. I'm born into a, a family that's from as early as I can remember. We go to church. Um, we have religious elements in our lives. We're, we're not a family who speaks about God at home. But there's a moral fabric to our lives. There's certain things you do and certain things you don't do. And God is somehow associated with that. And we go to church on a regular basis. And in that setting, we're, we hear about Jesus Christ. We hear about God. There's some ideas here. And I get the impression that pretty much everybody who's doing this sort of thing is religious and is good with God. And, and you know, pretty much everybody kind of is. All right, so that's my impression of religion and Christianity. So then I start reading the Bible in 1978. And I come across stuff like this, and it doesn't fit my paradigm, right? So when I read here in verse 10, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so I read a Bible passage like that, and I notice there's this line of demarcation. People who once were in one condition are now in another condition. Something happened between here and here. Well, that, that kind of wasn't my story. That wasn't my experience. And it wasn't anybody I knew's experience. Right? We were always religious people and we were always good with God. And then I read this verse and I find out, is that not how the Bible talks about a relationship with God? That at one point, you were not a people, and you had not received mercy. And this was the condition you were in. And then something happened, and now you are a special people that belongs to God, and you have received mercy. Well, if those two categories exist, right, this put me in a posture to ask, well, which category am I in? And how does one switch from one category to the other? 
Right? And that was really what the Bible was trying to teach. So if you back up a little bit further, there's some interesting things here. here. This Bible verse is speaking to anybody who's a Christian. It says, you're a chosen race. You're special. A royal priesthood. All right, time out. That's a complicated word for me. Right? Because when I understood what a priest was, a priest for me growing up in New Orleans was a Catholic priest. was a black outfit, white collar, uh, and everything we understand a priest to be. Uh, in this setting, there were no such things as that in this setting. In this setting, this is referring to the Old Testament priesthood. Right? So when you read the Old Testament, you find out there's a, a small group of kind of hand-chosen people who were given special access to God in a way that nobody else got that special access to God. Now listen, I know this sounds so, so un-American, isn't it? You ever, you ever realize the Bible sometimes is not uh, written in America? Um, right, so you've got this thing that feels really, really unfair, but it's just a fact, right? So you've got this group of people on planet Earth, but there's this special group of people called the priest. And they get to come before God in a special way, and, they, and then they get to turn around and represent God back to the people. So this is this unique role that they have. So they can, they can handle offerings, and they can pronounce blessings. And so if you've done something wrong, you'd bring your offering, and the priest would help you, and you'd slay that animal, and then he'd present your guilty offering to God. And then he'd come back, and he'd present a blessing to you, and he'd pronounce something from God. Now, you didn't interact with God personally. He interacted with God on your behalf. So then this verse comes along and says, Hey, you, Keith. You, average Joe Christian, you are a royal priesthood. What are you you saying? I'm saying you are like that Old Testament guy who had special access to God. You now have that. Well, see, something radical has happened here. There's now this access to God that people didn't have before. Now, anybody who puts their faith in Christ, they have this. And they have become a special people. In relation to God. A people, it says, for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Who called you out of darkness into his light. So suddenly there's a people here with a special purpose on earth. That God has given them a special relationship with him. And they've been given something in their life to live their life for. This is a whole lot more than a church building. This is an individual component to every human life that God has given us a special purpose in this world on his behalf to be his people. Right? So this is an adventure, right? And let's face it, we're all looking for some adventure here, right? A fellow named Paul Tripp wrote a book called Quest for More. He says, it's a classic scene in Western culture. She stands before the microphone, beautiful and poised, a finalist in the Miss America contest. The host asks her what she would like to accomplish during her reign, and she says, I would like to create world peace, solve world hunger, and liberate all the caged parakeets in the entire world. We've all heard it a hundred times. It's been the fodder for many late-night stand-up comedy routines. Yet... For all our cynical smiles and sarcastic comments in the face of the contestant's grandiosity, there is something deeply and uniquely human about what she said. There is woven inside each of us a desire for something more, a craving to be part of something bigger, greater, and more profound than our relatively meaningless day-by-day existence. 
Maybe that's why a human being would ever want to climb Everest, traverse oceans in an all-too-small sailboat, or attempt any feat not yet accomplished by a fellow human. Perhaps that's why we get hooked on politics, sports, or a myriad of causes that give us something to fight for. We simply weren't constructed to live only for ourselves. We were placed on earth to be part of something bigger than the narrow borders of our own survival and our own little definition of happiness. Listen, there's no question all of us are looking to find purpose, wanting to feel like our life matters, like we've done something that matters. Right, I'm 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 living life in the in the midlife crisis range, so I'm I'm waiting for mine any day now. It should be coming in the mail. Um, I'm 53, and at some point you're supposed to just have this moment where you go, "What the heck is this all about anyway?" Right? And, you know, more of your life gets in the rearview mirror eventually than it does in the front of your car, and so you start looking back, and saying, "Well, what have I done? What have I lived for? What have I accomplished? What did any of it mean?" Well, why is that even in us? Well, because God created us for a purpose. And that question doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of the way we're wired. We're wired to feel like we lived our lives for something that mattered. And God has a purpose for us that matters. God installs this sense of there is something out there for you and I to be a part of that's bigger than just us. It's bigger than our own personal story. It's about something that God is doing in this world. Well, that's what this special people is that's called the church. And you see that little Greek word in your outline there, page 80, right before the little red block there. It says the Greek word ekklesia. It's, it's two words, ek and klesia. Ek means out of, and klesia means a calling. So these two words come together to mean the churches. You know, you guys have heard that term, ecclesiastes, ecclesiastical, right? We associate that with the church. Well, that's where that word comes from. It's from the Greek language. It means that people have been called out and assembled together for a special purpose. And that's the church. And so if, if we're part of the church, that means we're called out and assembled together for a special purpose. So, hey man, let the adventure begin. Life should be a bit of an adventure, and it is in the Bible, right? Look at these other pictures that are drawn here. Look over on page 81. Number two, this is how the, church, the Bible describes the church. It describes it as the family of God. So church isn't just a building full of strangers that we might not talk with when we go. Um, it's like a family. It should have like a family feel to it. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, speaking of Jesus, He came and He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So here's God describing, this is what it's like to become His people. In that special moment, when we become God's people, He becomes our Father, right? And, and, and listen, that's a little different than you know, just some concept of a higher power out there. He's our Father. He's not the force, Luke. He's our Father. He's personal. And if He is our Father, then what does that do for all of us? 
what makes us, it makes us family, right? So there should be this sense of dimension in the church that the people in church that you relate to should feel like family to you. There should be relationships that matter. If you were or you were not there, that should matter to people, right? I mean, when you guys gather together, even with extended family, for Thanksgiving meal, and you're looking around and you set a, set a place, right? We have all kinds of people come to our, our, our family members come to our house for Thanksgiving. Everybody gets a special place, and we're looking for them. And when we get ready to have the meal, we're looking, you know, who's not here? Because that person is missed because they matter to us. They're just not faceless names. Listen, if you go to church and you just suddenly stop going to church, does anybody notice that? Does anybody you're interacting with notice that you're not there? Does that matter to them? But it might be indicative of the kind of relationships that are in a church that you're a part of if people don't treat you like family. Do they know much about you? Do you, do you know much about them? I wouldn't blame them. How about you? Do you notice when people aren't there? Do you have a sense of family care that belongs to other people? See, this was what God's idea was for the church. And you can imagine if the church goes from some cold building full of people that you don't know to a place where your family is gathered, boy, you could feel different about being a part of that kind of church, couldn't you? Well, that's what God had in mind. All right, so these are God's images when it comes to the family. How about this one? Look over there, number three. The body of Christ, right? We're a little familiar with this phrase. I'm not quite sure we're familiar with where it comes from. This is where it comes from. It's from a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, the Apostle Paul's writing this in the first century. He says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one, or here's this illustration, and yet it has many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And when he uses that word member, it's talking about stuff like your eye is a member of the body. And your ear is a member of the body and your hand, your fingers are members of the body. And so the illustration Paul uses is, you know, being a part of God's church is like, you know, like being a finger on a hand. It's it's like you're attached to something much bigger and you play a role in this thing. And, you know, what would the body be? He goes on a little bit later in this passage and teaches, what would the body be if it didn't have an eye? If just suddenly the eyes just decided, I don't want to be a part of church. Well, then the body would walk around unable to see. What if the ears decided they didn't? Well, then the body couldn't hear. So Paul uses this illustration to depict something about the church. That it's supposed to be, it's intended to be a functional, connected, meaningful body. An organism where Jesus Christ is the head, but you and I all play a part. And that's a pretty amazing thing. Right? In God's plan, right, all of us want to figure this out. We all want to figure out, hey, what am I supposed to be when I grow up? Right? Well, in God's plan, He does have a purpose for you when you grow up. He actually wired you and created you a particular way. So, 
If this is a body illustration, you look around the room here, and this is a room full of fingers and toes and eyes and ears and uh, feet and knees and just all kinds of things that are brought to the body of Christ that our lives are uniquely created by God to participate in this thing called the body of Christ. Now listen, that matters a little bit if you're trying to figure out what your life's supposed to be about. I don't think that's down the list. I think that's way up near the top of the list of why were you created. Well, you're created to be a member of the body of Christ who functioned in a particular way. Now listen, this is, a, this is a great illustration. It's a beautiful illustration. Right? I mean, love this. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a strange illustration if you take these body parts and you disassemble them from the body. Right? I mean, it's kind of creepy when you read on the news that you know, body parts were discovered somewhere. You know, hear this stuff in the news, you know? Disassembled body parts. You know, nobody hears that and goes, oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful illustration. That's beautiful. They found an arm in a trash can. Oh, it's beautiful, right? Uh, no, that's not beautiful. That's really creepy and weird, you know? All right, so can I just say this? If you're a Christian who's following Christ, who has the life of God in you now, and you're not a functioning member of the body of Christ. That's mm, that's good. It's creepy. It's creepy. You're you're an arm in a garbage can. That's what you are, right? In God's plan, you are not living what He had in mind for you. Because if all the body parts decide, hey, listen, you know, I'm good with Jesus and everything, and I, you know, I want to have a relationship with God, but I, you know, I don't have time for church. And those people, some of them, they dress in polyester, and I don't really care for that. So I don't know. Do I want to go to church? Uh, okay, this is what you're voting for. Do do I want to be, you know, a, a, a finger sitting on the sidewalk, or an arm in a bag in a garbage can, or do I want to attach myself to the body? And live the purpose that God's given me in my life. Now, I do guarantee you this. If you choose A instead of choosing B, uh, your idea about God and the church and experiencing the life he had for you, I I promise you it's going to be distorted. It's going to be lacking. Because it's not what God designed. Right? These are just the illustrations that God put in his Bible to help us understand. What's this thing called the church? Here, one more. How about a holy temple? Right, there's this imagery that would have been real common for these guys. They'd have been walking past these stone edifices that, that had giant stones that had been carved out, put in place, and this big pyramid building, etc., was going up. I don't think I've got this verse myself here. Let's read. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built upon the foundation. I don't know, all of a sudden Paul decides, let me shift illustrations here. We're going to go from household, everybody's a family member, let's talk buildings now. He says, you've been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So suddenly now we're, we're using a building illustration here to illustrate whatever this church thing is supposed to be. Right? And even the Apostle Peter later comes back and says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. All right, now here's another image of what church is supposed to be. Now here it says there's this building being built 
And inside this building, there's going to be a spiritual house, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So God is building a house that He can live inside of, so to speak. Alright? Now, before you go in the wrong direction with this, this is not about buildings like this. God doesn't live in these buildings. These are buildings built with human hands. We hired people. They built this place. This is not God took bricks and put them all together and suddenly we drove up one day and it's like, look at that. God built the building. No, no, we hired people and they built the building. That's not what God dwells in. right? When all of us go home tonight, God will not be living here. This is not God's house. People are God's house. People are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And what's an awesome, heartwarming, meaningful for me connection is God is, this picture is God has gone out into the world. And when people would build these edifices in you know, the first century, you're talking about going out and finding stones, quarries, that you could cut out of the side of a mountain and move that stone back and add it to the building. And then you'd go out and you'd get another one. And you'd add that one to the building. So what an amazing picture that is here. Right? The God of the universe has gone out into this world and this passage calls us these living stones. And he came out and he found me in whatever mountain I was stuck in. And he reached in and he pulled me out of that. And he says, I've got a purpose for your life. And he put me into this house, this temple that he was building, that he was going to dwell in in a special way. Unlike anywhere else, he was going to dwell inside that place in a special way. And you know, if you, if you look at bricks or stones, it's an interesting relationship amongst these stones, right? At some point, a brick gets put in place, and it's, it's being set on top of another brick. So there's, there's relationship here. These bricks relate to each other, right? God didn't just go out and grab a pile of bricks and throw them in a pile. Right, this isn't just a pile of bricks. He put them in place. So here's one, and then there's another one set on top of that one. And that's how, that's how human relationships are. And that's how God builds our faith and builds us into his purpose. You know, there's, there's somebody in your life, and there was somebody in my life, that, and happened to be Frank, as evil as he is, um, that he was in place, and God put my life in place in relation to him. Right? He, was, he introduced me to... to the Bible. I hadn't, hadn't read the Bible my whole life. And I began to read the Bible, begin to understand some things. And then God puts people next to you. And so next thing you know, you've got, you've got friends, you've got people that you're walking with in this spiritual journey with God on either side of you. And then one day, God's going to turn around and you're going to notice He's putting somebody on top of you for you to hold up. So you get people holding you up, people you're walking with and encouraging, and people that you are supporting and holding up. So do you see what a great picture this is? This is God's idea about what church is supposed to be like. It is meaningful relationships where people are in your life strategically and you are in people's lives strategically. And when God puts that house together, he dwells in the midst of those people, those relationships in a special way. He says he's building a spiritual house where his spirit will dwell. And that's these are the images that God presents about this thing called the church. Now listen, I I know for for many of us um 
that word church is not exactly something that makes us come running and charging. We, I, I want to be a part of that. Uh, yeah, my experience growing up in church wasn't something that made me want to run toward it. It made me want to find excuses not to be there. Uh, even though I felt like I was supposed to. It just didn't hold my interest. It didn't capture me. Right? You know, here's, here's what an experience can look like. Right? You, you drive up to this building once a week. You find the closest parking space because God knows, you know, strategic parking is important. So I find the best parking space that I can. I go inside. If somebody might hand me a flyer on the way in through the door. Sometimes those people talk to you. Sometimes they just hand flyers. And you're there for about 45 minutes. You don't make a lot of eye contact with people. You think you recognize two of them, but you're not really sure. And you kind of there, you, you do your thing. About 45 minutes later, you walk back out. You try and hustle to get to the car before everybody else gets to their car because the line's going to form and you want to be the first one out. All right, so did I just describe a trip to church or a trip to Walmart? Because you can have that much relationship at Walmart. You can interact with people at Walmart with that kind of an experience. But unfortunately, that really was how church was for me and, and for many people that I knew, week in and week out, over and over and over again. Now, just from the few pictures that we just walked through there that are, that are in your, your book there, that doesn't sound like what God had in mind. Right? God had something much more vital, much more meaningful, much more relational, much more rewarding. And, and listen... It doesn't sound like God only had in mind here that he was looking for, to get some customers to show up to shop at his place called church. And we come in and we want this, we want that. No, no, that sounds like if you're going to be a part of the church that God is building, he's got something for you to be doing. You have some relational responsibilities to others. You have a responsibility in the family to care for family members as a brick to support and uphold other people as a body member you might need to scratch an itch somewhere because you're the hand that can scratch. You've got a responsibility here. God has given you a role to play in this thing called the church. Now, I realize that's not what a lot of people do. When they get around church, they don't function much in it. It doesn't capture them. Listen, let me just be blunt with you. Uh, if you haven't been captured by the fact that God has a purpose for your existence, if that hasn't captured you yet, well then hanging around a bunch of people doesn't change that. Right? God's got to capture your heart to give you this exciting news that you're just not here on planet earth for yourself, for your own interest. No, but you're here for an assigned time. The Bible actually says that God knows every day of your life before there was even one of them. It says that he knows the hairs on your head. They're all numbered. He knows when they fall out. He has a purpose for you. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. So God has a purpose for your life. Now the question to explore at Alpha is, am I aware of what that purpose is? Am I living for that purpose? Does that purpose pop up in my heart in the morning? And I rise up to say, hey, I want to live for that. I want to be a part of that. If that has happened to you, well then, 
how do you keep going? How do you turn in the Apostle Paul? 30 years later, you're still saying, man, the most valuable thing in all of my life is Christ and who he is to me. I'd, I would continue to just separate myself from everything in order just to have him. How do you say that 30 years later? Well, you experience all these pictures that Paul wrote about. Being a part of a spiritual household, being a part of a family, being a part of a body and functioning in that role of receiving other people's function into your life. Right, that's what God had in mind. Now, listen. Um, yeah, it used to be, you know, I, I, I like to look at trends and stuff, things happening in our society. It used to be everybody, you know, everybody was going to church somewhere, you know, Sunday morning. You, you, how many of you guys remember Blue Laws when nothing was open on Sunday? All right, now it's just Chick-fil-A. Everything else is open. You just can't eat Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, it was the reason why everybody closed because they set this day aside and they honored this, this tradition, this practice of people of going to church. That's not our culture anymore. Even people who claim they go to church. <laughs> Look, I'm a pastor. I know when people tell me they're in church. It's like, I'm in church every week. Don't tell me you're here. <laughs> you know whether or not this is just something you do every once in a while. Listen, if you do anything every once in a while, it's because it's not all that interesting to you. Right? If you don't forget, remember anything else that I said. Frank said a lot of cool stuff. If you don't remember anything else that I said, remember this. People do what they want to do. So if you don't want to go to church, you don't go. If you show up every once in a while, it's because you feel like you're supposed to. That doesn't mean because you really want to be there. It's just because you feel like you're supposed to. And somehow it you know, rubs some magic genie somewhere and makes everything okay for another month or so and then you'll go back again. Listen... If you've got, you've got to have a gun put to your head to make you go to church. Can I just tell you, there's something about you and God that's just not happening. Nobody should have to put that gun to your head and make you want to go. If God's at work in you and he's revealed an incredible purpose that you've become a part of, you're going to want to be a part of that. And you're going to want to be around people who are experiencing that as well. And let me, let me just push on you a little bit here because you know at this point I, this is what I want to sell you I want to sell you on the fact that when you leave the Alpha course when you're done with this and you know there's there's some stuff after we do a beta course after this and you can hang around that beta course and, and learn some more things and we hope you will but at some point you need to be able to say I'm a part of a church and when you say that you need to take your little red cool little book with you and say let me open up to these pages and say what does that mean well it means these four things right here that's what it means to be a part of a church. And you're going to need to be able to say that. Otherwise, um, you're not really part of a church. Because this is what the Bible says really being a part of a church is. And God has a purpose for your life. This is the last thing I'll say. And your life is pretty short. How many of you guys are over 50 in here? Man, this is an older group. Jeez. <laughs> uh, you can't believe how fast you've gotten to where you are, can you? you know, the Bible says that life is a vapor. And I'm, I'm believing it more and more every day of my life. It is going by so fast. And to stop and think at this point, I'm thinking, you know, I've had one chance to live this thing. One chance. God had a purpose for me. I had one chance to live it. How, how was it? How did I do? What did I experience along the way? For me, I mean, let's say for me, church has been the biggest part. Uh, well, I'm a pastor, so it kind of kind of gives that away. But that was true before I was a pastor. 
it became the place that I met with God and I experienced Him and He was personal with me and I experienced His purpose in other people and the things were awakened in my heart. That's why I became a pastor because I got involved with God's people and God steered my life through those vehicles. So as important as church is in the Bible, I would just tell you this one thing. If when the Alpha Course is over and you sit and you say, hey, you know, it was really helpful for me to kind of get a spiritual awakening going back in my life. What do you do now? Well, you know, I think I'm going to go back to church. All right, just be careful about wherever you go. You got one chance to live this life. If your experience and your memories of having done church all your life were, ah, I went because I was supposed to, or there was nothing that looked like these images that we've put up tonight, and that's not what church felt like, I can't encourage you to go back to something like that. Because you got one shot. Go find a place that looks like this experience in the New Testament. Go find that place. Nobody have to talk you into church ever again. You will be there and you will be excited to be there. And if that's not been your experience in church, do yourself a favor. Don't keep doing what you've been doing. You know the old adage, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you got. And you'll just continue to have an unsatisfying relationship with God because a massively important part of your walk with God is your walk with others. And if you're not with people who are walking with God, you're not going to walk well by yourself either. So if you want to keep going after the Alpha Course, I would say the most important thing you're going to do next to reading your Bible, I'd say that's the most important thing you're going to do. The most important thing you're going to do after that is get involved in a church. And now how you do that, there's a number of ways you can do that. I don't know, do we have some stuff out on your tables to give out for you guys tonight? I know we're out of order here, so Frank, do you know if we have any? We do? All right. Um, there's some stuff at your tables that, that give you some insights and ideas about Lakeview Christian Center as a church. Uh, I've met a bunch of you guys on Sunday. Some of y'all have already come. And you came back to Alpha, and it was safe, and we didn't do anything too weird. And so... Um, if you want to come check us out on a Sunday, you already know a bunch of people who are here. Your table host and several others go to church here. Uh, you're welcome to come be a part of what God's doing here at Lakeview. You're welcome to just come check it out. And if you, if you get here and you feel like, yeah, you know, not exactly for me, that's okay. Um, then we'll help you find somewhere else. I mean, this is not a pledge drive thing for us. But it is this. I, I, there's nothing I could say more important than, than everybody here get in a church. In a church that's experiencing these things. And so if this isn't the church for you, we'll help you find somewhere that is. Or maybe you know somebody that's in your family or in your life that's been a part of a church. Call them tonight. Call them tomorrow morning and say, Hey man, this dude at Alpha last night said, I need to get in a church. And I know you've loved your church and you've been really involved with it. Could I come to church with you on Sunday? Go to church with them. But whatever you do, don't leave the Alpha course and just leave church as some vague thing off in the distance. It's the center of what God's doing. And you're going to discover Him when you get amongst His purpose and discover those people. All right. I think I'm out of time here. Did I cover everything? All right. We did. All right. You guys have got next week. How many of you guys have been here every week so far? There's like serious cash awards at the end that Frank gives out. If you make perfect attendance. So, listen, you don't want to miss. you got two more weeks. And the weekend, do not miss out on, you know, right, Frank? You brought back some euros from, uh, yeah, going to pay everybody in euros. 
All right. Uh, well, guys, we're going to take a five-minute break, and we're going to come right back here for discussion. So if you need to run to the bathroom, do that real quickly. And we'll see you guys next week.